Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, as always, we will thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Always excited to be able to do these. This will be our first Nolcast for 2021. And uh, happy to return to our listening audience on something uh, that is hopefully slightly better than a, uh, or at least the sound of a uh, discarded Nokia cell phone from the early 2000s. So uh, apologize for some of the audio quality on the last pod. Hopefully this is back uh, to where we try to live when it comes to audio sound. And uh, let's jump into it, my man. Let's do it, dude. Glad glad to be back podcasting first one of the new year and uh, happy to be with you for yet another season of the Nolcast. Appreciate all our listeners out there, all all the folks who give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts really is important to keep us there at the top of the charts. Uh, so let's go ahead and lead it off. Probably the biggest news that FSU has had in, in, the, in the recent days uh, is the commitment of Andrew Parchment, Parchment receiver out of the University of Kansas, uh, originally from Florida. Interesting pickup here. Uh, I think I think we should first talk about who he is as a player, kind of what he did at Kansas, and then we could talk about sort of the, the why. Uh, one of my big things this year in, in transfer portal coverage is just to take a look and, at what happened why it happened, and what what maybe doing so can tell us about the roster. Well, it's a, uh, you know, just from a standpoint of the fact that you get a fairly college-proven wide receiver, uh, you know, 6'3", 190 or so, did not have the best of uh, most recent years. If you want to look at that and dismiss it uh, due to quarterback challenges and, and just overall problems with the offense, uh, you can, uh, if you are of such perspective, and look back to a uh, 2018 season with productivity that you want out of a uh, wide receiver like this in the portal is a little bit more easily identifiable. So uh, we've talked a lot, Florida kid coming home. I think it's a solid ad. I don't know that it's uh, the type of thing that changes trajectory as far as uh, your win losses uh, projected in next year, but it does give you a, a body there. Hopefully it gives you a kid who... Uh, comes in with a little bit of polish, somebody that, you know, we've talked about the practice habits of the wide receiver group need to be improved dramatically, and, and hopefully he's a step in the right direction there. Uh, I think it's a nice ad. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and uh, you know, pump out a bunch of propaganda tied to it either, though. Yeah, I, I think that they're hoping that he will be sort of like Tamari and Terry Light. I, I don't know anything about his practice habits, parchment that is. I, I think we know plenty about Terry's practice habits. I don't know anything about Parchman's you know, practice habits, but like my sources at Florida State were not telling me like, hey, this guy is going to raise the receiver room as far as you know, working hard and making sure he's, he's a true professional at practice. But, but yet he's been much more productive at the college level in that you know, 20, uh, 2019 season than FSU's guys have been in, uh, in, in quite a while. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that he, he represents an upgrade, most likely on the receiver room right now, which is a major concern for this team, especially you got to think about who they brought in to play quarterback, Mackenzie Milton. If you don't upgrade the quarterback room, if you don't upgrade some, or excuse me, if you don't upgrade the receiver room, if you don't upgrade the offensive line room, then Milton's probably not even your best option to start, right? I mean, we, we saw what this offense looked like this year when it had to drop back and pass, both from a protection and from a receiver standpoint. It was a disaster. Uh, so we will see how, how this goes, but I, I think Parchman is, is probably a step in the right direction. Um, now, there's a couple interesting things here that give me a little bit of pause. 
And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I think this is a good move for them. It didn't seem like Florida State was in the biggest rush to to land the commitment, right? And I think part of that, dude, and disagree with me if you do, is that he's not an early enrollee. So you're taking a kid, you're saying yes to a guy now who you like, but maybe you don't think is like the most amazing receiver in the portal based on who you had to beat out. You're not getting him on your campus until after spring when he graduates. The thing is, by taking him now, you're sort of limiting some of your options about who else you can take. You're foreclosing the opportunity somewhat you know, to see who else can jump in the portal unless you're willing to spend yet another scholarship at the receiver position. And ultimately, I think that Florida State took Parchment's commitment now, despite that fact, because they probably are willing to spend another scholarship at the receiver position. Because I think that they think this room needs some serious help. Like that, that's my biggest takeaway that they're not going to stop recruiting Destin Hill, right? I think that it is possible that FSU could take Destin Hill and another transfer receiver potentially. Uh, yeah, I think it's possible. I do think there has to be a certain trade-off in, in quality there. And maybe to an extent you limit yourself by, uh, you know, go ahead and accepting the parchment commitment uh, at this time, I will say for a recruitment that only lasted like two and a half weeks or whatever, there was a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there seemed to be a lot of uh, backstory tied to it. But uh, Parchment is uh, is going to be part of the class. It'll be interesting to see how much of the room uh, that he, you know, rises and, and what the reports are once it is that he gets on campus. Uh, but like you mentioned, that will not be until a decent chunk of time from now, uh, five months or so. So uh, other names, you mentioned them, Destin Hill, not as though I think we needed any reminders to the explosiveness, but I think I saw over the weekend where he was timed supposedly with a laser at either four three two or four three four or something like that. So he was the fastest man at the Army All America Combine the last year that we actually had it. I mean that's that's pretty legit because the same year I believe uh, Emeka Egbuka was actually at that combine. Like Hill can play. There may be some other questions about him, but his physical ability is not one of them. Yeah, so uh, we'll have to see how much Florida State, uh, you know, where where it ultimately lands there. That'll be a, a complicated story in its own right. You mentioned a name there, Charleston Rambo. I mean, I, I do think that you have, if there are still two more to take, uh, I'm not saying that necessarily has to be somebody of the quality of Rambo. I think, I, you know, if we're talking like through the perspectives of uh, college students applying that, you know, maybe Charleston Rambo is a little bit of a reach school uh, when it comes to like what Florida State's looking at in the transfer portal and aspirational. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you get two names like that where you get a really explosive high school kid that hopefully you think you can shape and, you know, kind of mold positively over the course of two to three, four years. And then a, a Rambo, that would be a remarkable haul at the wide receiver position. We are by no means predicting that. Uh, but just, you know, there's going to be more names to come at this position uh, in all likelihood. And it's, it's an area that I think if you feel like you get the right numbers overall, uh, you could, you could add three more, uh, two more with the addition of parchment. Yes. Yeah, so just so folks know, Charleston Rambo was the number two receiver on Oklahoma in 2019. Number two to a guy named CD lamb, who was, uh, was pretty damn good. Obviously what went first round to the Cowboys. Here's the thing this year did not have, uh, you know, much, much of a year was injured a little bit, suspended that, that, that type of thing was going on, but much like Andrew Parchment, 
He had a pretty good 2019. So this is somebody worth looking at. I definitely agree with you that that it would surprise me if Rambo doesn't have you know higher higher edge suitors there. We'll, we'll see. I think that they're willing to take parchment back to our, our original analysis shows that they really feel like this room needs to be upgraded big time because it. it I don't think you take him if you're not willing to reach out and take yet, yet another stud uh, if if one comes available that you have a shot to get you know in the spring. Some more portal talk moving to the other side of the ball. Uh, a lot of social media conversation surrounding the uh, geographic whereabouts of one Jamie Robinson. Robinson is a uh, former South Carolina defender, a kid out of Lee County, Georgia, South Georgia there, uh, who appeared to be in Tallahassee today, according to his social media profiles. Um, yeah, but let's just have a discussion here as to whether or not, you know, we feel this is a legit thing. And, and if it is, uh, whether or not that's a, a step, a, a wise step in the direction of trying to fill the best spots possible in the roster. Yeah, like, so look, I, I, th- I think Jamie Robinson is a good player. Nice defensive back prospect. You know, had some productive games for South Carolina. Guy who's not afraid to hit. You're already at 20 on the incoming. You only have room for 25 or 26. You only have five or six spots left. You've already taken one DB in the Arkansas kid, you know, Jarquez McClellan. I don't know if this is the best use of scholarships to take another DB. I, I think you have some guys on this roster at DB who are are decently athletic and you need to do your job and coach them up personally. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of legitimacy there. We may have some some disagreement. I, I think with as important as, uh, you know, play of the secondary, the safety in particular out of this defense, that if you really felt you were getting something here and, uh, you know, I think the kid has a pretty decent track record of production at the college level and, has the offers that when I look at an offer sheet uh, coming out of high school that let me know that people who know how to evaluate defensive backs uh, thought relatively highly. I think, you know, look, I I would be for it. I I certainly understand the concern uh, with the overall numbers, but I think it's, uh, you know, great to get a kid out of South Georgia. I think it would be a significant uh, addition to a roster that you're absolutely right when Florida State has won some some significant recruiting battles over the past couple of years, uh, more times than not, it's been, you know, cornerbacks and safeties. There's decent talent there. Uh, but I think Robinson would be a significant uptick. You'd have a pretty good idea as to the, uh, you know, the floor that you're getting there and uh, some nice ans- ancillary benefits as well. I agree with you. I think that's fair. So let's just go ahead and open this up. Uh, the other spots that you really think they need to take transfers at, we, we talked about this, I think three episodes ago, perhaps. Uh, for me personally, I don't know of any current offensive tackle targets for FSU in the portal, right? Because they there are not many. That's that's not a spot where you can go and get a good player. If you do a good job, you can get an average player like Dante Le, or Devontae Love Taylor. It is my opinion that you probably need to take two to increase your chances of getting one good starter. That's I I understand the backlash on this, and people will say, "Well, wait a second. You have limited scholarships and you want to use two scholarships basically with the plan that one of these kids probably won't start. But I think the importance of getting somebody who actually played tackle at the ACC level is that important. Because from my understanding, I think they see some of these guys that the fans see as tackles. I think this coaching staff sees them more as guards. If that's the case, they really need to be active in, in getting two guys, you know, hoping that one of them can turn out to be a decent tackle for you. Um, again, 
you went out and got Mackenzie Milton. Mackenzie Milton almost lost his leg. I highly doubt he's going to be much of a dual threat quarterback anymore. I could be wrong. You know, I, I haven't seen him in live game action. Nobody has, but I think they probably got him to throw the ball. And if you insert Mackenzie Milton in, into the offense that you had this year, he's getting wrecked, assuming that he's not, you know, a great runner anymore. I think you need to take two offensive tackles. There's no doubt in my mind you need to take another defensive end to go along with, 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 uh, with, with the kid you just got from Georgia. And then, I mean, Destin, at least one more receiver, be it Hill or Rambo, maybe two. So that'd be four right there. And then it comes down to like, do you want to take another DB? Okay. Over a linebacker, over a running back. You want to just go and punt on running back, which I, I think is totally fine to do, by the way. Tight end, no way. I think, I think they had massive fish, no fish perspective on, at running. That's fair. And, and I, I don't see any massive fish on the line right now. Um, and we, we had the, we had the Patreon question a couple of weeks ago about, hey, do you know what, what Trey Sanders' health is like? I'm like, I, I don't know that if she's pursuing Trey Sanders. I mean, I'm sure they'd be interested if, uh, if he came open, but like, I haven't heard from my guys of, of him being a legit option. What's the impact of, uh, <laughs> of Leonard Warner returning when we're looking at some of these numbers? I mean, you know, we said what we said about him. You know, I, I don't think he's a football player. I don't, no need to bash the kid, but um, it is a body. You know, I, I would almost... Uh, I would almost make him special teams exclusive and, uh, you know, make him like the special teams captain or something and uh, maybe not let him take that many snaps at linebacker, but you do need, you need, you do need bodies. And that's a, you know, that is a, a decent body to be able to fill some, some type of numbers. So just to clarify though, just for our listeners, I know you know this, but the way you ask the question, I don't want, I don't want them to get confused. The impact on these numbers is zero in terms of he does not fill one of these spots. We're talking about just the 25 or 26 incoming guys, right? So him deciding to come back has no impact. Well said. I was just talking about the evaluating your needs uh, and the numbers you want to spend on them, but I, I appreciate you clarifying that because that, uh, that was both ambiguous and uh, potentially confusing. So, No, hey, when, when we worked together for 10 years, uh, I mean, it's like, all right, I know exactly what Ingram's saying here. And I almost just, you know, which just straight answered it. And then it was like, look, I think he like helps your depth a little bit, but he's not, you know, he's not a quality player. He's also not a bad program guy. So when he jumped in the portal, I think they were willing to wish him well and say, hey, awesome, man. Like, you know, go find somewhere you can play. And then you know, thanks for being a good Noel and whatnot. Yeah. And, and the side of my head, I was like, wait a second. People are going to, people are going to think you're asking and like, and get confused about you know, how many we can take. So, uh, so that's kind of the situation that, uh, on the transfer market right now, I would not take any more tight ends. Any other positions we're missing here? I, I, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see what they do at it. Uh, linebacker, I'm skeptical as to some of the names have been thrown out there. I'm certainly not predicting uh, that they're going to get the kid out of Northwestern, but I think they've got a, they think they've got a pretty good shot there. Uh, there's some, some quiet confidence, quiet optimism. And hey, look, if you grab that kid and you grab the kid out of Georgia, Hats off to you. You you turn you saved a potential grease fire, uh, at least by the addressing of needs. You're not guaranteed anything, but in the way that you address needs, you saved a potential real grease fire in a position. And hopefully that comes to fruition. That would be a hell of a haul at a particular position in the port. Absolutely. All right. Uh, you want to go to some listener questions here? Yeah, listener questions. Uh, before we do that, but I'm just reminded of a listener activity on social media, and that was he was reaching out 
to us and the good people of Resolution Home Loans uh, saying he wanted to utilize their services. And perhaps you could give our listeners uh, your own personal experience with them and, and why uh, other people may want to consider doing as such. I, I saw that today. Yeah, uh, I did my home loan and my refi through the great team uh, at Legendary there. And those guys are awesome. 844-FSU-LOAN is the number to reach. You call Shannon, Shannon knows what he's doing, right? You get great rates, you get expert knowledge of the industry, customer service is off the charts, and you get a little, get a little NOL talk, find out why, what are we at, 120 now? More, more than 120 NOLCast listeners have decided to get their, their home loan or their refi through the legendary team. Give Shannon a call, 844-FSU-LOAN. Shannon and Chad, 844-FSU-LOAN. Not just a listener, but a great Patreon supporter of ours uh, as well. So, Marat, certainly appreciate the support you have given to the Nolcast. Uh, first question comes from Tom tonight. Tom says, you've talked a lot about the talent level on this roster and the issues it has. Looking at it today, who are the guys who have current or future NFL potential on the roster, in your opinion? Oh, this is kind of fun. Yeah, I, I, I like this. Regardless of class, basically? Yeah, I think so. I think we just go either position or uh, just in general, what pops to mind. All right. So at the quarterback position, I think because of his brother's track record, you have to say Purdy has has NFL potential, although we didn't see much of it in a very limited sample set in year one. It's really not fair. I don't know what you think about McKenzie Milton. He's not real big, and now he's probably not real mobile. The release and the accuracy was was usually pretty good, so... Potentially him? Are, are, are you think he's a, he's a surefire NFL guy, or, or are you not willing to go there yet? Oh no, no, I don't think he's a surefire NFL guy by any means. I mean, if you look at his size and you look at the injury, uh, not saying he won't have success or that he's got uh, particular tool sets, but at this point, I would have to, I'd have to see what it looks like post injury before I started uh, talking about NFL ability. Tate, no, uh, Travis, perhaps. Uh, you know, I don't know that he necessarily would be as a quarterback, but. Uh, Jordan Travis has ability as a, just an explosive offensive player who uh, coaches could put on the roster and create, you know, eight to 12 plays a game for potentially, potentially. Um, he's certainly got the ability to earn a check. Yeah, I think Travis is a great athlete. We'll have to see what happens with him. I could see him earning a check. I don't see him necessarily being a starting quarterback. Uh, at the running back position, I don't see it. I mean, uh, you know, Tofilly looks explosive to me. I think his straight line speed uh, maybe he improves with a, a real ability to have a, you know, an off season uh, of a legitimate strength conditioning program. Sometimes guys can can lift heavy in a manner that actually uh, improves their speed. Uh, Corbin, I think, is a real good kid. Been nothing but impressed with him from a program perspective. I don't know necessarily that he's a he's an NFL running back, and none of the other names at this point I think are appropriate for us to have Sunday conversation tied to. I, yep, I completely agree. Everybody else in that running running back room other than Toa Philly really needs to study hard. All right. Uh, so receiver, uh, I don't think, I don't think Ontario Wilson is, is necessarily a pro. Really didn't take much of a step forward this year. Didn't catch the ball. I, I, I thought Jordan Young, you know, was, was going to be quite the steal for them. He really didn't get developed very well so far. You know, Helton, obviously, no, I don't think. Terry's gone to the NFL. Among guys who are, so the, the two freshmen they, they brought in this year, I think Kentron probably has a better shot because Robinson's not really a burner, uh, but he you know he does catch the ball well. Kentron has that upside, which is is at least intriguing, right? 
so I, I'll say I'll say him for receiver, maybe. All right. Uh, let's see. We'll move, tight end. Yeah, we'll move to tight end. Chuckle, chuckle. We can really, we can really just skip it. I don't think any of these guys are going pro. Yeah, I mean, there's no no need for us to dunk on everybody at the tight end position. Thoughts have been made. Uh, offensive line. I mean, I don't even know if we need to go through individuals. I mean, look, uh, you know, Dante Lucas, if he can continue to stay on the roster, <laughs> I say continue as though it's happened. Yeah, look, can continue to take steps forward uh, from the. You know, the ability of uh, mentally being able to focus at hand and, and putting some some things aside for broader goals. Uh, Lucas has the potential. Great to see the success that Robert Scott's had. Maybe with a, a period of time in a, in a weight program, he could develop into something. Otherwise, I don't, you know, ho- hopefully in two years we look back and we talk about people that wrote off or dismissed. I like Maurice Smith, the player, a good bit. I don't know that. I necessarily like the, his perspectives as a pro, uh, but yeah, not not a whole lot there right now, in my opinion, in the position group. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think this position group is getting better, but I think it's getting better from like horrible to bad to below average to you know maybe good to average, um, not like NFL good at this point. Lucas has the upside certainly. Like, is Love Taylor somebody who could make it to the NFL? I, I think I have to say it's possible, right? But we'll see. You know, Washington has much better length than his height would suggest. So that's always, you know, a possibility. But I, I don't see a lot there right now. Uh, Robert Scott is somebody who, who could certainly emerge. He made the freshman All-America team for 24-7 sports. A large part of that is just playing snaps, Right. A lot of these freshman All-America teams are just about who played. And then if you have a lot of guys who played, then you kind of go to who played well. But for the most part, it's, it's who actually played. Um, so that, that's, that's a big part there. Uh, have, okay, how about switching sides of the ball here? Who's your favorite like NFL upside defensive end guy? You, you got one here? Uh, I think this is the spot where we were trying to negotiate for me to get some run out next, uh, next year. Yeah, no, don't see it. On the current roster, uh, unfortunately, again, this is something that we come back and revise uh, the conversation at a later. Moving to the interior, I mean, look, Robert Cooper's got a chance to to earn a paycheck for a prolonged period of time, in my opinion. Fabian Lovett has the potential uh, to to play on Sundays, uh, but yeah, Cooper's got a you know Cooper's got a chance to be a five to nine year NFL vet, in my opinion, and and hopefully that turns out for him. I think Dennis Briggs could play in the NFL potentially if, if he keeps improving. I can't write off Fabian Lovett. He didn't have the most uh, consistent season this year. His top end is pretty good. So I, I will continue to think that he, he'll he have a shot uh, if he keeps improving. Linebacker, who, who do you got here? Yeah, linebacker. I mean, you know, obviously Dick's the, the physical specimen is uh, intriguing. A whole lot of improvement needed uh, on just – reading the game, responding to it, have a little bit more faith in, in your ability. Um, we'll have to see. Uh, Gainer is kind of a, he's both a really talented prospect and kind of a man without a position. I mean, I, I understand there's a, a want uh, to have him turn into a Fox. I just don't see it, man. I, I don't, I don't know that I see it. Um, I don't, we'll have to see. I'm not sure that the, the player necessarily wants to turn into a Fox either. I'm not positive about that. That's just uh, educated opinion. We'll see. I mean, the Lundy kid, if he if he really takes 
I could see him being a situational player, playing special teams. I don't know that he's a, an NFL linebacker in the year 2020, but uh, it's a talented kid with a decent work ethic. I'm not going to write off his, you know, his professional aspirations at this point. I would agree with you there. DB, or let's go corner, uh, Jerry and Jones, Akeem Dent. I, I, I think no at this point, but I could easily be swayed because those guys definitely have some ability and all it takes is one good year. Jarvis Brownlee, I, I think yes, if, if special teams for nothing else. Damari Tate, ability-wise, certainly is somebody, the question asked about potential, right? Uh, so you know, he, he's somebody certainly that we could look at. Uh, Miko Dotson, who's coming back, I don't think so, but maybe. Just going to depend on what he runs, you know? I don't even know that we've really seen enough of him to, to have a real opinion. Moving uh, towards the center of the field here, safeties. I mean, look, Travis Jerry, absolute. I mean, you talk about potential. That's a guy who's got frame, physical ability. That's a guy that could certainly be an NFL player. Safety? Or are you going corner still? No, I'm, I've moved. I'm just classifying Jay as a safety. Got it. Okay. I mean, Brandon Gant has certainly had some flashes. He'd have to continue to improve physically uh, to be an NFL player, but that's a guy who's decent and uh, showed, in my opinion, maybe the best ability of anybody on defense to kind of look at a ball carrier and diagnose where the ball carrier was going to be, you know, five to seven steps later, uh, which is certainly a skill that is needed out of a defensive player, understands angles. Uh, I won't write him off, but there's some physical work to be done there. Uh, Renardo Green, nice player, but I don't know if it's necessarily appropriate. I would agree with all that. Uh, so next question comes from Jonathan Kennedy. He writes, uh, so in watching Alabama play over the last few weeks, aside from being mesmerized by the vision of the receivers actually catching the ball and or blocking for their teammates, it seemed to me that Leonard Dickerson looked a lot bigger than he did about Fort State. Am I right? Could the uniforms, uh, could be that my eyes are older? Is the difference in strength conditioning programs? Uh, yeah, I, I think there's certainly some of that going on. Uh, Bama strength conditioning program is really good. They actually rehauled it or overhauled it this, uh, this offseason. They brought in uh, Dr. Matt Ray, who was at Indiana when, um, oh, shoot, who's the guy for, uh, he's now, he's a position coach now at Georgia. Uh, the, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Is it Scott Dickerson or something like that? But yeah. Uh, oh, shoot. Um, Cochran. Cochran, excuse me. Yeah, yeah Scott Cochran. Scott Cochran. Uh, so he left. I, I do think Bama likes their guys bigger than, uh, than what you know, Rick Trickett liked them to be, um, ultimately. And, He's also going to look bigger because he's got two more years of weightlifting under his belt. But Bama's, you know, their, their, uh, their strength program is certainly top-notch. Yeah, no, they, they, they know what they're doing. And just a kid who found a program that more paired with where he wanted uh, as a collective buy-in. So he graduated for Dickerson. Best of luck to him. Hated to see him sustain the injury that he did. Uh, Austin Brick brings us our next question. He says, do you know how many transfers Norvell took while he was at Memphis? I get the transfer process is different now, but has Mike shown a propensity to leave spots open historically for transfers? Seems like historically, the P5 coaches focus fully on the 25 incumbent spots from high school ranks, but do you think Norvell will always lean smaller on the high school side to leave room for transfers, or is this only for the time being to flip the roster? Good question here from, uh, from, from Austin. I went back and looked uh, before the show, and... Norvell certainly did not take this many transfers when he was at Memphis. Um, 
the transfer process is much different now, which is going to lead to an increase in transfers pretty much nationwide. And, and even has Dabo Swinney discussing whether he should take more transfers. From that standpoint, it's not really apples to apples. In 2019, Memphis took four transfers. I think it took one in 2017. I couldn't find any who they took uh, in 2018, uh, at least not on their transfer page. I mean, that might not be complete, obviously, but I, I think that's correct. What I will say here is that Memphis took a ton of junior college players and players that were kind of not really going to qualify at some of these Power 5 schools. When when, uh, when Norvell was there, and also when Fuente was there, for sure, you, you can get some kids into Memphis that maybe you can't get into, you know, some other schools. The they had a receiver who was committed to Clemson, but wasn't going to get into Clemson, and he ended up at, at, at Memphis. And unsurprisingly, a Clemson level receiver at Memphis uh, was was absolutely killing it for them. No, he does not typically leave a bunch of spots open for transfers. Uh, the second part of the question seems historically power five coaches focus fully on the uh, 25 spots for high school ranks. Uh, do you think Norvell will always lean smaller on the high school side? No, I, I definitely don't. I mean, I, I don't think this is what they want to do. I think this is what they're kind of having to do because their high school recruiting was so bad, right? I mean, they didn't get out there. They, they didn't meet prospects, not really through any fault of their own. And so they basically had to go the transfer route because what are you going to do? Take, take a bunch of guys in the high school ranks that you know you like they won't be able to play here? It doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, it will be interesting to see. I mean, Florida State certainly uh, is the, you know, advantageous benefactor of geography when it comes to recruiting high school kids. Uh, But if the trend is for some of these Florida kids to go national and then, you know, either want to come back when it doesn't work out or want to come back for a final year or something like that, it, it will be interesting to see how Florida State handles this moving forward. And uh, yeah, you know, that may be one of the the unique benefits uh, that we haven't quite figured out how this whole formula is going to shake out. Uh, But yeah, I do think it's a a good point uh, to note, Austin, that uh, yeah, he's got a little bit of a different background when it comes to some of this and perhaps has uh, prepared him for portal recruiting uh, better than other coaches with more traditional recruiting bait. Josh is the next person uh, whose question we will take tonight. But before I get to Josh's question, want to thank our good friends at Congruity. Uh, we talk every week about Congruity is the opportunity to optimize your business. And I'm thrilled to uh, talk to you tonight about the fact that the good people at Madison Social have actually brought, uh, brought uh, Congruity on board. Uh, we didn't have any part of this. They just reached out, talked to them, uh, thought that they were a very compelling option. I was talking with Matt and his team. They said, uh, look, they've got a great affordable 401k plan, great injured on the job support, a lower administration fee than other competitors that they had shopped, and better payroll tax rates uh, than competitors. So honest to goodness feedback from uh, a friend of ours when they talked to Matt Lewis and his team at Congruity and would encourage you to do the same. Uh, Matt can be reached at 844-247-4100 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. All right. So Josh's question, he asks, uh, hey, I was listening to Bud's other podcast about top coaching jobs. FSU wasn't really mentioned uh, in the latest one, but it got me thinking, where would you rank uh, FSU as a head coaching job based on the factors in regards to ability to win only? Prior to Jimbo's last season, coming off the Orange Bowl win over Michigan, I, I would have argued uh, FSU was around sixth, currently spelled about 10th. You can look at my list as a frame of reference, but you don't have to go into it if you don't want to on the show. What say you? I, I think probably. You know, somewhere between 
yeah, I think Josh probably has his right, man. Uh, as, as far as just ability to win, I mean, you're you're in the ACC. If you do a good job and you get good players and you develop them, you're going to be favored in a whole lot of games. Um, and you do a good job, you can consistently, you know, win nine, ten games. If you do a great job, you can make the playoff. Um, I continue to believe that. And obviously, like there's some rebuilding that needs to be done. You know, they got left in a pretty big hole by two coaches consecutively. Uh, but as far as culture and, and you know, talent and, and vision matching up in the early signing period onset and, you know, making the decision to fire somebody after just two years in the early signing period is just a, I, I think that's just a disastrous decision. The more research I do on this, the more I think that it's just such a dumbass decision personally to fire because you're, you're tanking your roster for several years and we're seeing it. We just did the NFL segment, right? I mean, the attrition you suffer is just crazy. But, they also couldn't know a pandemic was coming. Obviously, none of us did, or most of us probably didn't. If you're a pandemic doctor out there or an epidemiologist or whatever it is, um, you may have known. I, yeah, I think 6th to 10th makes a lot of sense. I, I was trying to remember what, uh, what Josh's list looked like here. So he had uh, Bama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU, USC, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, Texas uh, in front of Florida State. The interesting thing is like, if you put Texas in front of FSU for ability to win, in theory, I, I, I totally get it. In practice, uh, Texas might just be more of a mess internally than we, than we even realize, man. I mean, they, they just had their AD on Zoom calls with recruits saying they were keeping Tom Herman. And then either the AD changed his mind or the boosters changed his mind for him, right? And now he's out like two weeks after signing day. So there's some stuff there. I, I think there's some institutional stuff with Texas that makes it harder to, to win. Uh, than, than we might think. But that, that that seems like a fair list to me. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, in theory, Texas should be one of the best three jobs in the country. You could just look historically over the last 40 years and say that theory doesn't necessarily translate to, uh, to practice. Um, yeah, it's a top 10 job. I mean, you know, when things are good and when some other things slide around, I can understand it being even a little bit higher. I don't know that I would ever push it past six, uh, but it's, it's got some real strong uh, advantages to it. And, you know, maybe in 30 or 40 years with a more established booster network, who knows what the hell the landscape of sports will look like, uh, but maybe you could push it up a little bit further. Uh, but for now, yeah, I think it falls anywhere from uh, six to 12, depending on kind of uh, larger dynamics in play in the curly college sports landscape. Uh, next question comes from Chris. Chris says two four seven defines four star players as the ones most likely to produce college careers that would get them drafted. Using this metric, which if any of our incoming transfers from this offseason would merit four stars. So uh, it's worth noting that the quarterback is a four star prospect officially, correct? But yeah, uh, I I didn't necessarily know that we were going to start putting recruit or uh, transfer grades on kids this year. I do know that I'm not going to be the guy doing that this year. Uh, thankfully, uh, that is a that is a, a thankless job, and it is really tough. Uh, I went back and looked at the transfer grades that I gave to kids this year, and I thought they were probably going to be horrible just because I the first time we'd really done it. They worked out better than I thought, man. I was like, okay, this actually, I feel pretty good about these, surprisingly. Here's the thing, though. We didn't give out very many four-stars because for the most parts, transfers have an element of damaged goods, right? They're not that good. With the exception of quarterback, you don't see transfers going in the first round. 
quarterback you do, everything else, not really. You know, looking at this, I mean, non-quarterbacks that we, we gave four stars to, I think we only had 11 of them, maybe less. So when I say that I don't think any of these guys Florida State has taken so far are going to be four stars, that's just because they, they don't have as many you know, years left to play. There are no obvious like plug-and-play NFL guys that she's getting in on. Um, we had one four-star running back last year that was Cleo Herbert. He actually ended up being a really, really good pick by us. We had Trey Sermon as the highest possible three-star. And through five games of the year, that looked like a great grade. You know, because he was leaving Oklahoma. The last two games, he's totally balled out and has been a stud. We had what one four-star receiver the past year. Um, you know, Georgia fans thought Trey McKitty should be a four-star. We didn't give it to him. I don't think he played like a four-star. Um, we were close to giving four stars to Damon Hazelton, the, the Hokey receiver who transferred to Missouri. Justin Shorter got three stars uh, going to UF. I think he deserved the three stars. He played like a three-star. You know, we'll see what he does. Later on this year, uh, so I, yeah, I, I would not think that any of FSU's current transfers, other than Milton, who already got four stars, uh, will be four star players. I, if I was if I was grading them, I would not give them four stars. I would give them three stars, personally, because I don't think any of them are going to be superstars or like no doubt NFL types. Yeah, yeah, the kids from Georgia could flirt with it, but uh, yeah, I agree. Okay, better for Florida State from Mullen to State, Florida, or leave for the NFL at this point. Question comes from Connor. I, I man, I don't know. I, I was tossing and turning with this question in my mind, and I, I don't know that there's an, a is there a, is there a definitive answer here? Because I, I think you can argue this both ways. I think you can argue this both ways. I do think that, and, and I don't want to get too far over my skis on this. I do think you can say this is nothing but positive for Florida State right now. I mean, uh, it's it's very possible that the head coach at Florida has soured his relationship with some really meaningful people there, and that's going to have some longer term effects. If he does leave for the NFL, then obviously you would have the, uh, you know, the turnover that's tied to that. And yes, there's a chance that Florida could hit a home run, but there's also a chance that they could, uh, you know, make a poor hire. But I, I do think that, uh, I think Urban Meyer and Mullen were a perfect team, man. You know, I think Meyer was the type of sociopath who would call a kid and tell him he was dreaming about him and God at night and get him to sign, get on the roster. And Mullen's the guy who draws up plays. And I'm not saying he's not, he doesn't want to recruit or stuff, but he's not a great recruiter. He doesn't handle relationships all that well. We'll see. I mean, I, I again, I'm not trying to pop out uh, a whole bunch of of, uh, of optimism here, but I do think it's a good thing for Florida State, and uh, it it does have the effect of some type of destabilization as to continuity and everybody being on the same page in Gainesville, which is uh, only but a positive for for people in Tallahassee. My friend Stephen Godfrey, who still works at Banner Society, where, where I was before I joined 24-7, he had an interesting observation recently. He, he basically said, you know, Mullen is still acting like he's at Mississippi State. And you don't need to do that when you're at a big-time program. Just some, some of the antics and, and that type of stuff. But that, that is apparently just kind of you know, who he is. I think Mullen is a hell of a football coach. Is he a great recruiter? Does he put serious emphasis on recruiting? I don't know. Georgia continues to beat Florida in recruiting and, and you know, two out of Mullen's three years has also beaten them on the field. It's also worth noting that in 15 of 22 Florida starters were high school class of 16 or 17 this year. They're not getting a whole lot so far out of that 2018 class that he signed. And so 
Uh, next year's team is going to be a fairly young team, and we'll see how that goes. There, there are some obvious holes on that roster and some obvious strengths, too. And I, I think Mullen is a very good developer of talent and a pretty good manager of a program. He's just not somebody who seems like he loves recruiting. And now with name, with, now with name image, likeness coming down the pike, you better love recruiting, man, because college coaching is about to be less attractive compared to the NFL than it has probably ever been. Um, personally, and the NFL wants guys who can develop quarterbacks and who can scheme it up offensively because they know, you know, offensive coaching is typically a little more important than defensive coaching because defensive coaching is a little more reactive and, and, you know, height, weight, speed based or defensive success, right? Or not, not defensive coaching. I don't know. If he were to leave, I think he's done a really good job there. There's also like the, the devil you know thing here, right? I mean, what, who do they go get? Do they get Billy Napier? Do they get Lane Kiffin? You know, like, I think Dan Mullen's floor is so much higher than Lane Kiffin's. But I, I think you can argue, potentially, that Lane Kiffin's ceiling might be higher than Mullen's. Might. Just because of the recruiting aspect. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, that, that would be... Kiffin could certainly... Uh, I think Kiffin could get a train rolling in the right direction and in a real fast direction for one or two years. I don't know that Kiffin's built for long-term success at uh, any particular place, but uh, yeah, no, that'd be crazy. And, and, you know, like I said, you know, we know what, you know, who knows what's the on, on the other side of that. If he does make his way to Sundays, but if he returned good stuff for Florida state as well. I mean, I think that's a, you know, maybe the die has been cast there. Part of that relationship has been poisoned in some manner of fashion, and it'll be interesting to see what the ramifications are. So uh, before we get to our final question of the night, we mentioned them earlier. always want to thank our friends at Madison Social. Uh, been great supporters in the Nolcast. <clears throat> I feel sorry for these guys, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't have pity for them by any means, but seemingly can't catch a break when it comes to uh, some of these sports interruptions and Florida State basketball has uh, been no different. So uh, any support you can give to them, rather from uh, near or far, is always appreciated. Great people, uh, both in the way that they have uh, been monumental in letting us get this podcast off the ground, but also just the uh, general experience improver uh, that they are for those of us who uh, follow Florida State athletics and uh, have a you know emotional investment in both the athletic teams and the broader school and institution. So tip of the hat to them. And uh, with that, we'll get to Jamie's question. He writes, Happy New Year, gentlemen. Thank you, Jamie. After watching a handful of Notre Dame games this season, I'd like your guys' take on this. Based on how the Florida State tight end room is shaping up for the 2021 campaign, do you project this segment to be talented enough for Norvell and Dillingham to consider occasionally operating in a 13 personnel? That's one back, three tight ends. Uh, for those out there, assuming that it is, is a 13 personnel grouping something that Norvell has a track record of effectively utilizing to his advantage within his offenses. All right. So 13 personnel for those of you guys who don't know at home is one back, three tight ends. Notre Dame has three pretty damn good tight ends and one, at least one receiver, if not more, uh, who looks like a tight end. I gotta say, I don't love the idea. I, I like Jamie's creativity here, but what, what three tight ends do you want to put on the field that you feel like gives you an advantage? Is it just giving you an advantage because the opponent may not know how to line up to it? But I, mean, I guess possibly. However, I would say, all right, I think Cam McDonald is a, is a fine college player. 
All the other tight ends on your roster, I think, are probably below average ACC players at best. Two are walk-ons. We'll see what you get with Wilson coming back off, off the knee injury. That's possible. Uh, but I, I don't think this is going to be something you're going to see that much just because I don't think those players are very good, even compared to some of the other position groups. No, I mean, I can certainly see the appeal. I mean, in theory, you get big bodies out there that can both test uh, you know, test the secondary and provide you a lot of interesting angles when it comes to blocks and stuff like that. Norbell uh, has always had a history of being creative with what he does, uh, you know, to scheme guys open and situations that he tries to create leverage. But, yeah, no, uh, I mean, unless we're going to jump on here in 10 days and talk about Arik Gilbert somehow magically appearing in Tallahassee or something like that, uh, I don't necessarily know a reason to do, try to magnify or increase the importance of the tight end position at this time. I think Arik Gilbert has a pretty good chance of playing very near you. Unofficially, of course. That is what we speculated uh, about a month ago or so. So, hey, man, uh, hopefully this has been a little bit of a return to form when it comes to audio quality. Uh, it's always appreciative of the opportunity to do these podcasts. If you have a chance, like Bud said at the beginning, five-star review on iTunes is uh, is great and you know of importance that doesn't pair with that of a rating. But uh, for now, this will be another episode of the Nolcast in the books, and we look forward to talking to you in the near future. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.